with absolutely no sports talk welcome to the latest edition of the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports on today's show we'll talk to swimming star and two-time olympic gold medalist lily king about her love for harry potter and we'll try and fail to get her to call rival dopers Mudbloods. And on the heels of girls joking about a Broadway musical version of White Man Can't Jump, we'll take it a step further and actually try to make the damn thing. And hey, Tony voters, we'll definitely rather look good and lose a Tony than win one. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. On the phone, in our Brooklyn bureau, just, I don't know, a stone's throw from Broadway, our multiple-time Emmy-winning sports producer, it's Gareth Hughes. Gareth, when was the last time you were on Broadway watching a show? Uh, the last Broadway show I saw was Hamilton, which I've talked about here at length. Uh, I actually took the kids, though, to see a puppet show on broad, like uh, like an off-Broadway theater in there recently. And that was some actually some beautiful art. Um, so, yeah, it was probably about three or four weeks ago with my children. Was it Avenue Q, Gareth? It was not Avenue Q. It was, it was probably the highest brow thing. I didn't honestly know that this was going to be like capital A art. It was like, oh, cute puppet show Sunday morning, cheap tickets. Let's jump on this for the kids looking for an activity. And I turned to my wife early on. I was like, whoa, this is like, like I said, capital A art. So that was the last time I was on Broadway. <laughs> yeah. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> uh, also, also joining us, also on the road this week, he is our, uh, I don't forget what I used last time, Adam. Uh, he's our respected, revered, uh, lots of other things, uh, sports PR guy. Adam, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Can you hear me okay? I am yeah, you're you're a little echoey, but where you're in a hotel room somewhere, aren't you? I'm in a hotel room in California. Um, come out after work, so visiting the girlfriend, and uh, she has a uh, corporate outing she's at. So while she uh, makes small talk and drinks cocktails, um, I'm going to talk about a fictional musical. <laughs> hey, it's better than the last time that we all that better than the last time the three of us got together for a pod. We talked about Michael Jordan the TV movie. Yeah, that guy was in jail and he may hopefully he heard the <laughs> podcast and got a little enjoyment out of it. I hope so too. I hope so too. Hopefully he got declared innocent because his art is too important to be missing out on. All right. This time of the show we're going to take the open and make it wide open. A time when any of the Just Not Sports crew can throw out a topic from sports or around sports or around the periphery of sports or just around wherever their head is going. And boys, I'm going to start. Because I have the most important wide open topic that we have to break down. Who here saw the Le'Veon Bell music video? 
Well, I didn't Brad, know. I did be- because he asked us to. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I sent a link and I was like, if you guys don't come prepped to talk about this, don't even bother calling in. All right, well, uh, yeah, short show for me, guys. <laughs> so. oh, Gareth continues his Cal Ripken streak of not doing his Just Not Sports homework. <laughs> yeah, I didn't sleep well r- last night, so I'm a bit crabby, which I think really makes for our best podcast, at least for our listener. Um, this was fucking terrible, Brad. I'm really sorry you didn't get much sleep last night. Let me go back to my baby. Yeah, well, I'm not used to this, and I am spoiled. <laughs> Here's I got a few I got a few takes about this Le'Veon Bell music video. Uh, I'm gonna start with with full transparency. Our listeners deserve that from Just Not Sports. It's not my favorite Le'Veon Bell rap song. That would be First Flight. That would be First Flight Out of the City, which remains the best of the Le'Veon Bell canon, if you ask me. But I will say um, the video it. It may be the first video that I can recall to take place prominently in what looks to be a toxic waste disposal dump. Um, Adam, how how much how much how many rap videos have you seen in your life? That is so not true. I feel like half of the videos <laughs> that come out of the South are set in some kind of ur- urban or construction or alternate setting. Uh, I don't think there's much original about this video at all. Adam, I'm not going to I'm not going to like even try to hide this. After I watched the video, the first thing I googled was Le'Veon Bell and new Batman movie cuz I was like I wonder if he's like tying this into Axis Chemicals or something. I mean, for a lot of this video, he's next to a a, a uh, I, I, what do you call it? like a, a metal drum that looks like it's just holding waste and it's opened and it's spewing this yellow smoke. And so for most of the move or most of the video, Le'Veon Bell looks like he's just rapping in a cartoon <laughs> fart. <laughs> yeah. And there's a mysterious lady in a black tank top. There's no explanation of why she's there or what her role is, ex- except I can only assume waste management. Uh, <laughs> he he is in a He's wearing several different outfits, and by that I mean a hooded sweatshirt and then a black long sleeve uh, pajama-like shirt. And there are people walking around in the background. He's also wearing Jordans. There's there's nothing. I mean, the budget on this video is less than his watch costs. <laughs> I guess the only thing I would say would be it probably is is meant to be a steel factory yes. because he plays for the Steelers. And there's a section in the background where it had the Steelers logo. And I was like, I don't know how the Steelers signed off on him using their logo. And then I realized it was a it was a workplace safety chart that (laughs) that had rules, rules for safety. And they just like aped the Steelers logo. So I'm sure someone in in NFL trademarking is going to be reaching out to whatever uh, whatever steel factory made the the short sighted. uh, decision to let this uh, clearly uninsured <laughs> production well, take place. I, yeah, on the I was going to say, no, the NFL doesn't care enough to make a phone call about this video, but let's be honest, of course they do. Right, right. Well, right. I liked it. I thought it was fun. I give them, I give them a lot of credit for originality. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm probably the biggest Le'Veon Bell <laughs> rap supporter. So, Le'Veon, keep it, keep it. 
coming. All right, that's that's mine, guys. You may Wide be open, the only. Floor. You may be the only person with the last name not Bell who's a fan <laughs> of this I, It was the first flight out of the city. It was the first flight out of the city. God, I love that song. Love that song. Does because I, I did some other homework for tonight. I do have to say that. Um, including things that got revised out of the format. But uh, did it use actual Steelers logos? Like, did it use NFL trademarks in the in the piece? If it, there's yellow and things like that. Was that? It's just it's just like on the back wall of this building. It, it at first I was like, oh, they're at a Steelers facility, and then I paused it, and it looked like where it says Steelers on that that three diamond logo, it says safety. And then I think next to it was just a chart that talked about, like, rules inside the facility. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Correct. All right. Anyway, Adam, wide open. What do you want to talk about? Uh, I don't have anything. I'd really like to get to Garrett's, Garrett's topic. I'm pretty excited. All right. Well, I've got a couple. First of all, um, we should – Adam and I got some beef uh, to settle here. We got – well, oh yeah. Oh, we want to talk about that. I figured yeah. if you okay. say you're cranky, sure. let's get into that. <laughs> okay. It makes so for the best podcast. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> well, then this will be perfect. <laughs> piece of shit. All right. So uh, <laughs> let's get into this. So uh, last week, um, as you know, guys, Gareth hasn't been around for a while because uh, I don't know. He's in a hole somewhere. Uh, I was working on the um, Final Four but NCAA we, tournament. Then I took some time sure off with enough, family. You know, went to see my parents. No, doesn't. You guys and your families. I've heard enough of this nonsense. Anyways, so um, I send Gareth uh, a text message. And I said, hey, Gareth, I have a client who has some extra tickets uh, to the Tribeca to the documentary portion of the Tribeca Film Festival. And let's face it, if Gareth Hughes had a street basketball name, it would be <laughs> Tribeca Documentary. <laughs> I mean, those yes. two words. <laughs> Sum up, Gareth, pretty succinctly. So I'm waiting on the information. Brad, as you know, sometimes you get last-minute information from clients. So on Saturday, a few hours before um, – the film festival i get the information i send it to gareth and uh didn't check my phone all weekend only to check it today and find out uh no bro too late can't make it everyone flaked on me uh i told the, your contact though that he could do what he wants with the tickets uh, y- your on, your verbatim response was actually dude really uh <laughs> so that's yes. uh look we could make a lot of excuses and i also want to avoid any issues with clients so i will in the words of uh cbs sports producer ryan galvin who taught me a lot early on fall on sword move on uh i will i will follow hey, and in the and in the words of gareth hughes frequently Consider it weaseled. (laughs) (laughs) Weaseling out is what I do best. Consider it weaseled. Uh, I hate my reputation. Should probably work on that. I I once so I met a uh, 
uh, one of my PR mentors is Jim Sakamano, former uh, PR guru for the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Gareth, I'm sure you're familiar with him. One of my favorite guys. And he long ago said, I'm out of the ticket business. It doesn't matter who – and this – and honestly, Gareth, this isn't, this isn't a shot at you, but um, it did make me realize that on both sides of the equation, something – always goes wrong in this case not totally blaming gareth his the rest of his party flaked on him um something with tickets always goes wrong someone like the price that you agreed on doesn't come through someone is texting you because they don't know where the will call is to go get them the other side hasn't given you the information so jim sakamano many years ago made the policy that no matter who asks him for Broncos tickets, he, the answer was, I'm not in the ticket business. Huh. So I think, uh, I am officially out of the ticket business. So to anyone who ever asks Adam for a ticket in the future, uh, I apologize at the same time <laughs> as someone who in, in my early days, actually though, I'm more struck by that story. I love it because in my early days as a BA at CBS, like it was always that same thing. Like, I like, hey, I need you to get these tickets to blah 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 for this person. And there was always will. Is it at will call or media will call? Is it at this place, that place, or the other thing? And no matter what your actual responsibilities to be on the air were going into a game, your most important job became making sure somebody had their tickets. It's terrible. It's thankless. And I'm now going to follow the lead of Jim Sacramento and Adam Millard. And I'm getting out of the ticket business. So that, this yes. was a teachable so moment. the answer is, yes, I can help you get Bears tickets. The other answer is, no, I will not help you get Bears tickets. <laughs> right, right. May I help you get Bears tickets? <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for giving me some clarity, Gareth. Uh, no hard feelings, buddy. Hey, it was worth it for the story. It's worth it for the pod. All right. So, uh, <laughs> wide open. I got something real quick. Katie Nolan of Fox Sports yeah. got in a huge Twitter spat with Sean Hannity of Fox News. And she said he's a literal fucking moron. And when he came back to her pretty strong, she then said, Thanks for the advice, Dad, which I thought was an amazing comeback. So, Katie Nolan, big shout from the Just Not Sports team. We are we are Team Katie in this Twitter feud. Absolutely. Yeah, one hundred percent. You wouldn't have you you wouldn't have, you don't even have to tell me what this top no. subject material. If you're is. if I'm you're in a fight if you're in a fight with Sean Hannity, time. I know exactly what it's about. It's about Sean Hannity being a douchebag on Twitter. Amen to that. Uh, anything else? Uh, here's one I've got. Uh, yeah. You know how I was all excited about NFL free agency and the machinations behind it? And it surprised you, Brad? You remember hey, that? Hey, well, yeah. consider it weasel, yeah, right? I don't. <laughs> no, well, no, no. I do not feel that way about the NFL draft. The NFL draft is unfollowable for me. My God. First of all. Really? I don't – well, number one, I don't like college football. Or I don't follow it. I don't, I, don't, I don't have time to follow that. As 
one of the the great is the great producer Bob Stenner put it my first year working in a broadcast truck. Ugh, if you guys watch college football, Saturdays for CSI reruns. So that should A <laughs> date it and B show where Bob Stenner sat on that. But yeah, I just I find um it just the whole thing is so oversaturated. And I was like, I know Peter Schrager. Uh, he lives near me. We worked on a show. He's on Good Morning Football. I was like, maybe it, I was at home the other day. I uh, I was like, maybe I'll watch some of that show coming up on the draft. And as I saw all the promos for this year, it's all outside. I was like, oof. Yeah, I am. I am out on the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I got a quick retort. So. I got a quick retort here, and that's. <laughs> Adam having worked for the Packers, Gareth having worked for the Patriots. Forget you guys, man. When you're a Bengals fan, draft is like Christmas morning because you convince yourself that, like, man, we're, we're going to be good now. We just drafted David Pollock. We're going to be good now. We just drafted, you know, I don't even know, like some other, like some other crappy dude who's undersized at a TCU. And after, like, three sentences from Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, I'm like, this guy is going to be uh, like the next Jonathan Vilma. Like, I'm in. So I'm all in on the draft. I mean, I don't sit and consume the coverage like I used to when I was younger because I don't have time. And didn't have But children. if you gave me, like, a bottle of Jack Daniels and an endless supply of tacos and you said you got Saturday off and we're going to start round one and just keep going, I'd be like, I'll see you on Sunday, bro. Like, I'm ready. Well, the draft starts on Thursday now. Yeah. Apparently, that's how, that's the world. Yeah, because living. because everything gets ruined right as you get older. I'm just saying. <laughs> I have to say that I'm still a gigantic fan of um, the NFL and NBA draft. I'm all the way in for all of both. Oh, the NBA draft. There's no comparison between the NBA draft and the NFL draft. NFL draft is a hundred times better because you don't know any of the people and you just convince yourself they're great. In the NBA, it's like I, I, I get what Michael Carter Williams is. Like I saw him in the tournament. He's he is this. Right. Well, yeah, I understand. Except for Draymond Green. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I would like to, uh, Brad, if you remember correctly, I made a pretty incredible prediction about Vontas Perfect a few years ago when he went. I believe he went undrafted. And signed as an undrafted free agent, and I told you within. I remember exactly what you said to me. You said that's going to be the best player in this draft, and you just got him. And I, I was like, I, I hope so. And then you said, and you're also going to pay money and drive to Cincinnati, and that he's going to single-handedly lose the game against the Steelers <laughs> for you. And I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, I remember the Thanks, first Vontaze. part. All right, all right. And then he whipped out great sports open, almanac open is, second edition. Wide open is closed. <laughs> Uh, right now, we're going to get to you, – you'll hear more from us. We've got a segment coming up about White Man Can't Jump, the Broadway musical. We'll explain that in a minute. And also, uh, but f uh, we're going to do our distractions, our, our shout-outs, everything like that at the end. I want to, though – we're going to take you to an interview that I did with Lily King. Uh, if you don't remember Lily King, you will as soon as I say she's the finger-wagging badass who straight up – challenged the doping alleged doping uh, uh european swimmer or russian swimmer or wherever it was from i forget and at, at this year's olympics in rio and straight up just beat her and she was one of the great breakout stars of the olympics and i sat down with her to talk about a passion of hers harry potter and i know you're gonna think like oh it's just brad like humoring someone about harry potter 
I actually know the books. I read them. I was a film critic when the movies were coming out, so I've seen all the movies. I actually like the franchise. I think we go we do a pretty good job of going deep on a lot of different subjects, everything from whether there was too much talk about the owl exams in the book to whether she actually relates to Harry Potter being a world-class athlete. So I will, uh, I will leave it to you to, to hear us get into that. So stick around. It's a really fun interview. Whether you know the books or not, I think it's a good insight into the way athletes consume media when they travel and how they relate to characters that are fictional. And then we'll be back to talk about Broadway musicals starring Wesley Snipes. Stick around. First of all, uh, I apologize for uh, – I do feel a little creepy being a 30-something-year-old man um, talking to you this th- this deeply about Harry Potter. But I, I'm, a big <laughs> f- I'm a big fan of the series. Uh, I used to be a film critic, so I actually read all the books um, when, I was, when I had to review the movies back when they were coming out in the early 2000s. So I want to start with this. If you had to pick a house that you would be put in in Hogwarts, what would it be and why? Uh – I think I'd probably be Gryffindor. Uh, I don't think I'm smart enough to be in Ravenclaw. And I hope I'm not evil enough to be in Slytherin. <laughs> um. <laughs> Look, but, uh, Gryffindor, I always felt like, were the most well-rounded. They were athletic. They were yeah, likable. Exactly. Yeah, I had a friend who, uh, actually my boss, we were in New York last week, and she said someone told her she was a Hufflepuff, and she oh, got no. really upset, like really bothered by it. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I feel like Hufflepuff's just a very quiet house, you know? Yeah, and honestly, like, the internet has all the, um, like, there's a lot of deep dives into, like, which houses won the House Cup year in, year out. Like, a lot of people have put a lot of thought into where where the rankings have gone. Um, Let me ask you this. When when was you, so how did you get into the series? Are you someone that was a book person first or a movie person first? Uh, I think... I don't really know. I think I was a book fir- person first because I remember I read the first book in second grade. Um, and then my mom, like, let me watch the movie after I read the book. So I read the first couple, and then I watched the first couple movies. So now, it was kind of a – I did it at the same time. Now, you're of the age where, like you said, you read these when you were when you were a kid. They, they were, they were yeah. kind of spiking in popularity but back when I was in, like, high school, college. So we, had, we came into it at a different – time in our lives would you say that harry potter was the defining pop culture of your childhood in the way that i might say that about star wars like the original star wars oh yeah definitely um i don't know it's weird i'm so used to answering questions about swimming so i'm like trying to think of different i have like a set answer for everything but um well that's exactly why we started this show to get you out of get people out of the habit of, of going to their set answers so i'm glad you said that yeah no it's nice yeah but, um, yeah, regarding the question, um, I mean, I, I, everyone would, like, line up for, like, book releases and get dressed up for, like, the movie, re- like, the midnight releases of the movies. And it was always, like, such a big deal when, like, a new movie came out. Uh, the books, I think, were done coming out. Uh, probably I was in, like, third or fourth grade. I can't quite remember. But the movies were still coming out up until I got into high school. So that's kind of, like, what I remember most. But it was always just such a big deal when, like, there was a new one released. Okay, so let's be honest. Have you dressed up for a movie or a book release? No, 
But okay. I was Hermione for Halloween in third grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm I really mean, into Halloween too. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I love Halloween's my favorite holiday, and I have two. I have two young girls, um, and we're, we're already talking about what we're going to dress up as this October. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> so you, you, Hermione, I'm sure was a. I mean, don't don't let me put words in your mouth, but she had to have been sort of a feminist icon for you growing up, and that she was. Super smart, uh, very self-assured in in many ways, and, and and honestly, like one of the stars of this kind of action franchise. W- is that a fair assessment for a young girl coming to coming of age with this franchise in your life? Yeah, I think so. Um, I always related. I always well now thinking back, like I really relate with Harry a lot, but I also related a lot with Hermione because you know she's a very smart girl, very well spoken, but she also doesn't really take any crap from anybody. Yeah. So um, she's always very sure of herself, which is something that I definitely look up to. So you mentioned relating to Harry. How how so? Um, I don't know. Just these qualities, like he's very, very loyal to his friends, but he kind of thinks he can do everything on his own, but he always has to have his friends remind him that, no, you need help. Um, that's kind of something I've always, you know, had to deal with, like in swimming. Yeah. But um, and just kind of in life in general, I've never been one to like really ask for help for anything, but always, you know, had those those, you know, core friends there remind me um, of like what I need and just being a very strong character. But also, I don't want to say humble because I'm not the most humble person, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, neither was Harry at certain times. I mean, I, I look go back to like Goblet of Fire and what I like about the series is that it allows its characters to have flaws. And there's a there's a big chunk of books where Harry is coming to grips with being the most famous person in the wizarding world and he's not always doing it in a way that you'd say this is a great model right right they're very they're just very relatable characters um you know they they have flaws they're human that's the, it's funny because you know we think of oh they're wizards they're not really human but in so many other ways they are so i think that's just kind of been a big part of the series as you've become a star on the swimming scene and on the American sports scene, do you more relate to the, the the role that Harry has to play grappling with his celebrity status? And that, I mean, you walk into a Big Ten meet, you're the person the other swimmers are looking for. Does that have you ever thought about that through the context of the Harry character, or am I just really overanalyzing? No, <laughs> no, you're not at all. Not at all. I've definitely thought of it that way. Um, you know, always having to be the best, always having eyes on you at all times and having to be very conscious of your actions um, is something I've definitely had to deal with. Um, and I don't know, being kind of the chosen one, it seems like at least, you know, representing my team and my country and uh, things like that. All right. Uh, another, this is, a, this is as close I'm going to get to sports talk on this. Let's talk Quidditch <laughs> for a second because <laughs> I, I want to know, as someone who is um, in, a, in, a, in a sport that toes a very interesting line between the team dynamic and the individual dynamic, how uh-huh. do you feel about a sport that at any time can just be won by one person just kicking ass at it uh, when they go catch that catch the seeker? Do you like the way the game is set up, or do you say, nah, I'd rather, I'd rather not see it that way? It doesn't reward team play. Yeah, um, I don't know, because it is possible to win the game. With, you know, even if the other team catches a snitch, such as in the Goblet of Fire, um, <laughs> the Quidditch World Cup. Good pull, good I'm pull siding, there. I'm siding things here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, I think it's kind of cool because, you know, you get your star player out there, you get you have the best seeker, you have the best team. Um, and, you know, kind of like in swimming, uh, that does happen sometimes, you know. You have the top, you know, one or two swimmers, and all of a sudden you have the, the highest team score. That can happen. So, um 
Yeah, I, I kind of like it. Do you, now, do you have? If I told you to power rank the books and the movies, like what's the best to the worst? Would you would the would you say that they're like probably the same? Like you'd rank the books in the same order you'd rank the movies, or do you feel like um, it, it, it's it's a little bit less just pure story driven of which plots do you like the best, and and the execution of the movies maybe do something different? I mean, a good example would be I know a lot of people who would not necessarily put um, Azkaban as their favorite book, but they they all say like that's the movie that sucked them into the world because it like changed the tone of the series. Yeah, and things yeah. Like that. So, I mean, what, do you feel like the books and the movies kind of rank in the same order in your head, or are they vastly different? Uh, I wouldn't say vastly different, but they are a little bit different, definitely. Um, I like the seventh book a lot better than both the movies. Uh, I also like Goblet of Fire, um, the book, a lot better than the movies. But Order of the Phoenix, I like the movie a lot better. So it really just depends um, on what we're talking about. But, yeah, I definitely don't think they all um, compare the same from movies to books. Can I just say the seventh movie? Those movies are a drag, man. They are yeah. a slog. The first one is just like depress. It's like just three hours so of depressing. just depressing nothing. I know it is, and like, um, and like when I read the book, and I'm not much of a book reader. Like Harry Potter is pretty much the only books that I'll read. Um, <laughs> like I, I couldn't put it down. Like I, I just read and read and read. I'm like 12 years old reading this book. This like you know enormous, however long, 700 something page book. I could not put it down. Um, so when like the movies came out, and I was like, uh, this is kind of boring. It was kind of sad for me, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm still alive. So <laughs> I know I know the feeling. Now, what what is your um what is your favorite? And it's hard because it, again, the book and the and the movies can be different. But what if I just said what's your favorite of the stories? Uh, which which would it be? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. I like them all. Um, <laughs> I think at least story-wise, I'd say Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just really like that one. <laughs> it's like, it's serious, but it's not like as serious as like, oh my God, Harry's going to die right now, you know? And it, it, it brought serious into the, um, into the storyline. And I just love that character so much. Um, so that was probably, probably my favorite. Uh okay, Patronus. What would be your Patrona Patronus animal? Okay, I actually took the Patronus quiz on nice. Pottermore. Yeah, and uh, oh, was I'm a tigress. That's what it came up. Ah, that's a good tigress. One. I thought that was cool. If it was me choosing, I'd say probably a honey badger. But <laughs> <laughs> honey badger don't care. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, scarier, scarier scenes because you, you you like the third one. So Dementors are they scarier than like the spiders in the in the forest in two? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, Dementors like suck the life out of everything. Yeah. And I'm terrified of the dark, so like anytime I, I like get cold chills, I'm like, oh my god, it's the Dementors. But then I'm like, <laughs> well, like I can just eat chocolate and I'll be fine. So. <laughs> Uh, before I got married, I would sleep with my light on, a TV on, and a fan on in my room. And my wife was like, <laughs> "I don't know how you've ever gotten sleep in your life. You're a crazy person." But I was just like, "I just like, I just like sleeping. I just like sleeping in a room that's like kind of hopping." Yeah. No, I like hate. I hate the dark. I have a really overactive imagination. Shocking, I know. Um, so, <laughs> I'm I've always been terrified of the dark. I'm like something that's like not natural in this world is gonna like pop out and get me. Like I'm just. I'm just a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look, here's some, some questions about the overall, um, just kind of like interesting things I think about when I think about this series. 
first of all, when Dumbledore died, a spoiler alert to our, our audience, but if you don't know my now, <laughs> come on. Uh, when he died, did you at any point did you cry? I didn't. I think I was so young when I read it that I didn't quite have the emotional capacity to understand it. Yeah. But like now when I think about it, like it's such a heartbreaking scene. Like I realize that like when Hedwig dies, that's like supposed to like represent Harry's like loss of his innocence. But I really feel like when Dumbledore died, that was like really when he lost like his parents. So yeah. it's just it's just like so hard to watch. So I'm like, no, like this is the end. This is it. Like nothing good can ever happen again. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, it. it's definitely I haven't I haven't cried, but I cry at the end of the seventh movie every time, and I don't like watching the end the end scene because it just makes me sad that it's over. So, so are you are you someone that wants J.K. Rowling to revisit the story with the with the the you know the, this generation as adults and their kids going to school? Do you do you want to see that happen? Because that's always talked about, but I don't I don't know if she's got it in her. Yeah, um, I mean that's kind of like what Cursed Child was about because I actually read that book in well, it was actually like the screenplay. I read it in one sitting. Um, I just sat wow. down like over Christmas break and read the whole thing. Was it good? Um, Oh, it was so good. But it was kind of like that. It was kind of like revisiting, like, it was talking about, you know, Harry's kids, like, at school and, like, what he's had to go through, like, basically being Harry Potter's son. Um, and it was so good. So, like, I'd totally love to see it come back. But I don't know if there's, like, as much of a storyline just because, like, there is no more Voldemort. So, like, you don't have that, like, bad guy that just, like, keeps coming back to life because, like, there is no more. Yeah, it's tough. I think what will ultimately happen is it, for it to just continue the way people want, it's going to have to do what Star Wars did where George Lucas sold mm -hmm. sold Disney the rights and they just, just said, there's too much money, we're going to start making them again. You know, yeah. Lucas be damned. Uh, but unless she sells it off, I just don't know that she's got it in her to sit around and write you know, a book uh, every two years You know, with, with, yeah. with a new generation. Yeah, and I mean, like, how can you? It's kind of hard to come back from that. Oh, um, I know. I mean, the expectations like, are through the roof. Yeah. All right. It's like, oh no, this one stinks. Well, <laughs> what am I gonna do? I mean, like everybody would read it, of course, but <laughs> yeah. All right, favorite supporting character of the series. Mm. Honestly, haven't thought about it. Um, probably Fred and George. Yeah, because they're just goofy and like bring a bring a really good light into into the story. Where I feel like otherwise, it's like not really that funny, but they always like bring that element of humor to the story. Yeah, no, I th I think that's a good one. And like, what about? Mm -hmm. Like, how about the most annoying character? Was there any character that was in the book that you, every time they're on, like, or in the book, on on screen, whatever, anytime they were around, you're just like, get this out of here? Um, Lavender, probably. Ooh. She's obnoxious. Yeah. Totally messed with the Ron Hermione romance, like, get her out of here. Like, yeah. she was, she was annoying. <laughs> I, I would say Dobie the house elf was like my least favorite of everything. I I, I think that second movie is the worst of all of them. I, it, for whatever yeah, reason, I it's agree. like it's like it's still got the kind of kitty magical tone, but it's it's just it, there's nothing interesting about it. I think with when Alfonso Cuarón took it over and sort of brought it closer to the real world context, the movies mm -hmm. got more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but then again, I was an adult too, so if I was if I was eight mm -hmm. watching the second movie, I'd probably be like, "This is awesome." Yeah. I never really liked it that much until I read, like, the last couple books, and then, like, that movie, like, really tied into those books. Yeah. So, like, I get, like, where it, it was going, like, it set everything up, but the movie itself I wasn't a big fan of. The one thing that people don't talk about with the books, in my opinion, is after she became super famous and started just writing on her own terms, she had no need for an editor. 
and mm-hmm. you get like 200 pages of half elf house elf independence or owl exam prep where it's like <laughs> harry was nervous about his owl exam he had a quiz in this and, and you're like oh my gosh get to <laughs> the fighting um, were, were you someone that relished every page or did you ever kind of say, all right, I don't need 900 pages of Goblet of Fire. Like, let's move on. Um, I never really thought about it that deeply. Um, I think probably because I was just so young when I read it, that it was just like, oh yeah, like he has to prepare for his test. Just like I had to prepare for my test. <laughs> um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I didn't think about it too much. All right. Hermione, since you dressed like her for Halloween, it was, was Victor a better get? Um, for her, don't you think she should have just? Don't you think she should have just ignored Ron during Goblet of Fire and kind of had a nice, like, long romance with 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 Victor Crumb? Um, I think ignoring Ron and Goblet of Fire, kind of, I don't know. It it made him fight for, you know. Yeah. So, like, while it was like a nice little romance, like he was too old for her, in my opinion, and he was like not that nice. So. And it just wasn't it just wasn't a match. He wasn't an intellectual match for her. See, I well, okay, I agree with that, but I also think the movie made him too nice. Because he, he was a pretty easygoing dude in the movie who just mm-hmm. seemed to have genuine interest in Hermione when Ron was like playing all these kind of dopey games of a you know, yeah. a dude who's like because he was fourteen. Yeah. I and so <laughs> I, I think in the book the book probably dimensionalized him as more of your kind of stereotypical cocky, um, alpha male that I don't I don't know that I came across in the movie. Yeah, I don't know. It, I think it kind of did for the people who read the book, um, just because, like, they knew the character. But I don't think they really played into the fact as much that, like, he was, like, this superstar Quidditch player. Like, he was the guy. Yeah. So, I don't know. That was kind of my thoughts on it. Um, did you I, I – do you think that there's anything in the movies that you feel like they just totally botched? That, like, they, the, you know, that they got wrong from where you imagined it from the book? I think they got Ginny completely wrong. Ooh, how she so? Was, um, in the book, she's like this fierce, like sassy person, and in the movie, she's like very reserved and like not much of a. I mean, like she's a fighter, but like you wouldn't really see it. She's a lot more. I feel like she's a lot more introverted than she was in the book. Yeah, I, and I actually, I, I don't really know that they ever did service to like the. It, was it Cho that was his love interest in the kind of Goblet of Fire and the one after? Yes. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think they ever did her character correctly in the in the movies. I mean, she was sort of this like heartbroken girl who was the object of his affection. And then when Cedric died, I, I don't mm-hmm. I just don't feel like it registered on screen, and they kind of just lingered on it too long. So by the time he was with Jenny, it just felt like, all right, well they're gonna hook him up with her, like I, you know, fine. Yeah, like, it was like such a good match in the book, and it like wasn't such a good match in the movie. And I don't know if that's just because when, like, they met each other, like, the chemistry wasn't there because they were so young because they've known each other forever. But, yeah, it, like, it just, like, wasn't quite the same as in the book. No, I, I totally, I totally get you. And, in fact, I, you know, I'm not sure that I was ever really invested in Hermione and Ron when you watch the movies. I, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that those actors – I think they were all really good in their individual roles, but I'm not sure they ever developed romantic chemistry on screen. Yeah. And that's hard to I mean, say because they were, like, 17. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was the thing. Like, you're, like, rooting for them in the books, but in the movies it's, like, not as much about that. It's more about, like, okay, you know, let's get to the fight. Let's get to the big scene. Let's, you know, let's get to the bigger things. We don't really care. Um, so, I don't know. I think it's kind of skipped over it or what. 
a couple more questions for you real quick. So Fantastic Beasts, are you on board? Are you not? Where, where, where do you fall on this? Um, I don't know. I'm on board with the concept. I wasn't quite on board with the movie. Um, yeah. It just wasn't, it just wasn't the same. They're like in America. They're not at Hogwarts. Like it was just kind of weird for me. Like I guess that they're still like in the wizarding world, but everything was just so different that I couldn't really relate it. It sounds like they're going to bring that. Um, they're going to bring young Dumbledore into that universe, and maybe they're going to mm-hmm. just make that more about him in those early years, which I think is intriguing. But I just don't know why they didn't start there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of like you have like those characters you're so attached to. So like if they would start with Dumbledore, I'd be like, okay, like I know this character, I know where it's going. But when you start with all new characters, it's kind of hard to get hooked. Oh, totally, totally. So, you know. Wh- do you ever reread the books? I mean, I know movies, I think the movies are on TV a lot. They're rewatchable. It might mm-hmm. be something you pop in your room. But do you ever pick up the book and say, I'm going to reread this this week? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. How many times have you read um, them then? Um, not as often as you would think because I'm actually, like, really busy all the time. Oh, I'm well, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure um. as a, as a, as a, 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 a highly uh, functioning um, uh, internationally recognized athlete, you don't have a ton of time just to like <laughs> thumb through uh, Azkaban uh, all the time. Yes. Yeah, um, but no. Whenever I travel, I take um, I take the last one with me. I take definitely all with me because I know like no matter like how much I read during that trip, like I'll never finish it because it's so long. So like, I'll, and the good thing is after you play it a couple times, you just pick it up and like just start wherever because you know what's going on. But yeah, I bring it with me on every single trip. Oh, that's awesome. I, I commend that. I, I've actually never reread a book. Uh, recently, I picked up um, – mm-hmm. I read a lot of Stephen King when I was a kid, and I picked up mm-hmm. It again because I was really pumped up to see that movie trailer come out. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is cool. But it, what's nice is that when I get to a, a section where it's just like 15 pages of nonsense about the 50s, I'm like, I'm going to skip this and go to the clown section. I already re- I've already <laughs> read this. Like, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final. I don't skip but- Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, yeah, you're, you're good. Go ahead. I guess, how how do you how do you try to compartmentalize like the the importance that the that the Harry Potter books and movies like sort of what does it mean to you? And 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 do you feel protective of it in the way that there's a lot of fans who love things like this, love pop culture, and they. They get all angry when oh someone's gonna remake Ghostbusters or or this thing didn't live mm-hmm. up to my expectations. Are are you as as a big fan? Are you someone who just says hey do whatever you want with it, explore it. I I like it on my own terms. I have these things. Or are you, do you feel somewhat protective of it and you just don't want to see it uh, get bastardized in any way that doesn't fit your worldview? Yeah, uh, I feel kind of protective of it to be honest because. I remember, like, when they came out with the trailer for Fantastic Beast, I was, like, really excited. I'm like, okay, yay, like, we have another Harry Potter movie. And they're like, oh, wait, like, Harry Potter's not in it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I'm talking This is not what we talked about. Um, <laughs> this is not what we talked about. I love that. Yeah. But then, but then like, when Curse Child came out, I was, like, really excited because J.K. Rowling wrote it. And it was, and, like, wow, she, I guess, worked on the screenplay for Fantastic Beast. It just wasn't the same. But when Curse Child came out, I was super excited because it was really good. And then when Fantastic Beasts wasn't really good, I was, like, kind of disappointed. I'm like, what did they do to Harry Potter? Like, this isn't right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty protective of it. I want, it. I want it to be good. I want it to be as good as it was the first time I read it. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and the, the nice thing is, is that the books are you know, the books and the movies will take on a life of their own and, and continue to be relevant for years to come. Now, have you been to Pottermore or, or the um, not to Pottermore? Have you been to the theme park? I haven't. That's like one of my goals in life is to go to the theme park. <laughs> well, soon, soon enough. And then I got to ask you, this is a favor. If you ever get, because mm-hmm. I'm sure you get asked about the the doping stuff all the time, and 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 your yeah. opinions on that during the Olympics were so great. Next time that you know, they're asking you about a about an athlete, just call him call him a mudblood. <laughs> <laughs> like, can we that just get can we have that, can we just have dopers called mudbloods? I think that'd be a good thing. That like wouldn't get me in trouble at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, like more trouble than I'm already in every well, time I open my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, look on this show, your candidness and your hot takes on Harry Potter are always welcome. Uh, we, I want to encourage everybody to follow you on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I believe it's at underscore King underscore uh, Lil uh, for both, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And then I saw you tweeting about Easter candy. Have you have you gotten over your addiction? Uh, because I'm I'm like I have so many jelly beans around my house right now that I just I just have to like throw them out and or move because I I'm gonna eat them all. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'll ever be over my addiction, but luckily the Easter candy does run out at some point during the year. Because if we had Cadbury eggs all year, I would probably weigh 300 pounds. Can, uh, but are I you, do have my little stash in my cabinet. <laughs> are you are you pro or con with Peeps? Pro, love Peeps. Man, love my them. my wife loves Peeps. My daughter loves Peeps. I just cannot stand Peeps. A lot of people can't, and I don't understand. It's just a marshmallow. You know what it is? It's too. It's just too sugary. Like I don't like the mm-hmm. fluffiness followed by the the sugar on your teeth. Like I just. Yeah. I'm like, give me a I little think that's bit. That's a guy of, thing. That might be, or maybe I'm just a weirdo, but. Uh, or Grinch. Well, anyway, you've given us so much time. Thank you so much, Leah. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on your success um, you know, in the past year and, and uh, continued success in the future. All right, awesome. Thanks for having Showgirls was one of the most polarizing and disruptive shows in the past decade, and it ended its remarkable six-year run a few weeks ago. It seems like every writer in Brooklyn has written some deep think piece about how the show has influenced the nature of female friendships, body image, and even analingus. But what really got our attention in a show about complicated women is the men, specifically the fictional Broadway musical adaptation of White Men Can't Jump, that found its way into the show's final season. And we are not going to let this stay fiction. We're so excited, in fact, that right now we're going to take this idea and we're going to get it running like Billy and Gloria from the Stoochies. Stoochies? Stoochies. Stoochies? Stoochies. Who remembers? I do not remember. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I, you guys didn't watch the extended DVD on the way home, just like I, I don't... did when we could agree to talk about this? Well, that was going to be my comment. I I follow all of your assignments, but if I had to watch the movie as well as the episode of Girls, I think it's Stussy. 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 I'm doing a really bad Gloria accent, so I'll cut that off right now. All right, so real quick, in the show, it's Elijah, the the friend, is auditioning for this White Men Can't Jump Broadway musical. Yeah, if I may, so uh, he's played by Andrew Reynolds in the last season he starts he's working a retail job and he starts girls especially at the end was great and the last two seasons are highly worth watch but he starts working a retail job in the last season and he's doing readings 
with his colleague before she goes to auditions. And she's like, you're really good. And so he's like, oh, maybe I'll become an actor. And so in the second to last episode of Girls, his character gets written off the series by getting cast as the lead in White Men Can't Jump, the musical, and he is going to go party all night and do coke. And so that was the last we see of Elijah. I, I watched the clip. So we, we pick up from I there. I watched the clip online. It's a really funny sequence because he's doing these, like, he he crushes it in the singing. And it, uh, Gareth, he was in um, the the Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Book of Mormon, wasn't he, in real life? Yeah, he got his he got his start in the Book of Mormon. He was part oh. of the original cast along with Josh Gad. And he's great. I mean, he's. So they were the, they originated. He's the really talented. So he sings and he just nails it. And I mean, he's still kind of funny and kind of off kilter, but he nails it. And then they're like, let's go do the dancing. So he does the dancing, and then they're like, all right, now bring in the basketballs. And the guy can't dribble at all, let alone like dribble while he's dancing. <laughs> and it's just, it's really, really wildly entertaining. I, and I hadn't, I, I, we don't have HBO anymore. Uh, <laughs> shocker. And I, uh, <laughs> I gave up on girls then, but I've been reading about it. And I, this somehow I totally missed it until, Gareth, you brought it up. I would totally see this. Wouldn't you guys go see this? I would see this. Oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. By the For way, Brad, this may sur- may surprise oh. you, but I I have seen every single episode of Girls. It it was a I don't know. It was a seminal show, good zeitgeisty stuff in my mind. I also thought it was really well written and well done, even though it had bad seasons and episodes like most things. There are probably some episodes of this podcast that are better than others. So Never. We're always consistent. <laughs> Consistently the best in the game. You brought this up when we were talking about this. Like You brought up the fact that white men can't jump. Look, all these Broadway musicals and all these revivals and all these stories that are being adapted, like Amelie and uh, The Little Mermaid or, what, or Matilda or whatever, you just need good source material. And Brad, you were saying, this is good source material. Characters storylines etc they're remaking this movie and blake griffin's involved did you guys know that stop stop that's a true fact and and i saw on tmz i'm not making any of this up i'm not making any of this up so if you're offended by it just i don't shoot the messenger someone caught wesley snipes in a car that was not a paddy wagon and they asked him for, for tmz they're like what do you think of the remake and blake griffin doing it and wesley snipes from the recap I saw, I couldn't get the video to load. The recap I saw said he said, "Which which parts he gonna play? The white guy or the black guy?" And I was like, "Oh man, Wesley Snipes just like shots fired already at Blake Griffin and at this project." Is, is it shots fired? Because I was gonna ask the same thing. In, in all seriousness, I don't. I I mean, I mean technically, I could play either part. I mean, I get it, but like, he is. He is very light. I could see him playing either role. Yeah, but what, he's he's like what, six. What role will he play? He's like six nine and jacked. Like the you, he can't be Billy. Like <laughs> he's not going to a court well, and instantly th- looking like the best guy on the court. Well, that makes it almost more comedic if he's t- if he's pretending to be terrible and they're like, oh, we got this. So he's just tripping over his own feet. So now this no? like this is a uh, this is I'm looking at an article from January of 2017. Uh, White Men Can't Jump remake in the works from the blackish creator Kenya Barris is teaming up with athlete turned producers 
Blake Griffin and Ryan Khalil of the Carolina Panthers to develop a remake of the 1992 sports comedy for 20th Century Fox. So there is I just your want to info say this. on the movie. I want Blake Griffin to write it. No editor, no help. Write the movie. Cast who you want. I will be there opening weekend. That's my deal. <laughs> I will. You're going to be there either way, Brad. Okay. All right, so I got a couple of questions. We're going to cast the movie in a second, but I got a few questions for you guys. How would you... How would you want the, the the score to be done? Do you want the music to be original music, or do you want the music to be like retreads of popular popular songs, a la like Moulin Rouge? Ooh, yeah. I think I, I the whole time I was thinking about what this would sound like, even while watching that particular episode of Girls. I was hoping for a 90s hip-hop motif. I don't know if that's original scores. I think it's more... How about this? I would like to take Naughty by Nature's greatest hits and uh, redo the lyrics of those songs for this musical. How about that? Adam, Adam, I I, I almost like stood up and cheered. Like that's such a great fucking idea, man. Thanks, man. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. That's that's really great. I appreciate it. Guys, guys, let's move let's move to Broadway tonight <laughs> and just get this done. Well, I don't see why not. Hey Adam, I got a better idea though. What's that? B ball's best kept secret. <laughs> we use the original we use the original the original athletes and then we invite them all back except Malik Seeley, R.I.P. Point to the ceiling, Sammy Sosa style, and then we we ask them to do new tracks, and we mix the two together. Amazing, done, winner. Pretty awesome. Yeah, you get Dana Barros on this. You get Jason Kidd on this. Cedric Sabalos, who still is not returning my request to come on to talk about DJing. I mean, all those guys, dude. It'd be great. It would be good, and we've been looking for a way to resurrect that album that nobody has heard. I think this is the way to do it. Okay, Gareth, um, I want to talk about the choreography because the girls episode had them like kind of dancing with basketballs and stuff. I have something better. Okay. Did you see The Lion King? Did you see The Lion King on Broadway? Well, it's interesting you bring this up. So in preparing for this, tonight, I went pretty deep on my casting, um, but I also did some research on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, which I thought would be an instructive uh play musical adaptation for white men can't jump because it's a train wreck because no, no, well no because of the aerial stunts and all the flying that was famously train wrecked and choreographed and adapted by julie Taymor, who made her name doing the lion king so brad take it from there whatever you were going to say so in the lion king the the singers were like wearing just nothing but black so they would fit like you'd not see them and they would move with their hands like these huge puppets that could be giraffes and be lions i'm thinking it's like a puppetry thing where you've got these huge life-size mannequins that can like fly up in the air and dunk and do stuff but the singers just have to sing so they can really belt it out but a guy might go up and do a triple reverse while singing a song that's about you know uh you know trying to dunk as a white man the ultimate the ultimate white man's burden 
so you're saying they they would fake the basketball action like they did in the movie. That movie's all real. <laughs> no, sir. No one, no one in that movie could play basketball, except for Dwayne Martin, which we see who shows up in a another basketball movie called Above the Rim. Which we'll talk about next week. <laughs> By the way, more bank shots in White Men Can't Jump than in Tim Duncan's entire career. <laughs> like, it's so true. Wesley Snipes does a lot of, like, in the air, spin around, reverse, bank shot. I mean, I don't get it. All right, Gareth, you said you went deep on casting. I've got some casting ideas myself. Well, for, I, so I'm, I'm going later era Tamor for the choreography. I'm, I want a, to finish that, I want full aerial pulleys. I want people getting suspended over the crowd. I want disastrous train wreck. I want Spider-Man turn off the dark style choreography for White Man Camp Jump. That's what I'm looking at. So the casting, look, man, we have to look at it this way. This is a tough moment to be doing a show called White Men Can't Jump, colorblind casting. Do you actually cast a white man as the eponymous white man in this adaptation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, because I, I, uh, I also cast white men. In this well, role. it's still called so White Men Can't yeah. Jump. I cast I cast Sidney Dean as a white guy too, but that's just because <laughs> you know I just prefer their the richness of their. I just their can't music. imagine a world where there's a black guy who can't dunk, guys. I just don't see well, it. So it, yes, this has to be a white character. Man, I want to make a Marlon Wayans above the rim joke on that dunk. Uh, <laughs> I want I want to make an Adam Alert uh, Adam Allard not above the rim joke and ask Have you donated the money to Nebraska yet? No, but it's coming. I want to do it. I want so it's so <laughs> that it's fair. I am going to fill out the check in front of you, Brad. Hand it to you and let you put it in the envelope and send it out. Just because I want this to be legit. So that will be on an upcoming episode where we're in the studio together. Nice. All right, Gareth. There's three main characters, and I think that's where our focus should be on. So Billy Hoyle is the Woody Harrelson character. Sidney Dean is Wesley Snipes. And Gloria, Rosie Perez. Let's start with Billy. Gareth, who who would replace Woody Harrelson in the Broadway play? And And are you judging the actor's singing capabilities, because I just realized that I did not. Okay, because so I did. I'm just going to rip through my cast here, and it's pretty nerdy and pretty uh, Broadway inside baseball, but just bear with me, and let me get through the whole thing. Shocking. Yeah, so Andrew (laughs) Reynolds from Girls originated the part. He also originated the part in um, The Book of Mormon. Jonathan Groff, uh, Andrew Reynolds played the King of England a couple times in Hamilton. Jonathan Groff was one of the originators of that role. So I cast Jonathan Groff in the role of Billy uh, because he can sing. Similarly, went back to the Hamilton well uh, for the Wesley Snipes (laughs) character. David Diggs, who was also on Blackish, I believe, this past season, would be playing his character uh i i cast j-lo in the role of in uh rosie's role and rosie perez's role uh because she can sing 
and Shades of Blue, her NBC one-hour procedural uh, films in New York. And last but not least, in my one nod to colorblind casting, I cast Hamilton's creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, as Alex Trebek for the Jeopardy scenes. So that is the one area where I took some historic license. I, I have a really, I have a really important thing to key on. You think J Lo can sing? <laughs> Bro, have you listened to On the Six? Come on, baby. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Waiting, oh, waiting for you tonight. Mean, you mean with auto? Yeah, waiting for tonight. Lots of production help there. If you want my love, like Jenny from the Block, these are not oh, exactly guys, her belting guys, out like a She's real. Haven't you heard the song? With her and Ja Rule, she's real. Let's, she can sing. Hey, she's still she's still Jenny from the block, and if we keep talking like this, someone might show up. I, look, I bet she Adam, could open a Broadway play or a musical. That'll put that'll put Adam, big who, old J Lo asses. Who'd you were, cast, Adam? Because I've already lost interest in Garrett's choices. <laughs> well, well, see, I was thinking that we were casting athletes in these roles so i took it a whole different amazing amazing Um, i'm and i'm going with because i so enjoy the early 90s hip-hop motif i'm going with early 90s actors or uh, athletes um in the role of wesley snipes i would put someone who um was a trash talker but lovable and that person would be uh, Mr. Utep Two Step, Tim Hardaway, <laughs> amazing senior. Oh, it's so good. And uh, and in the Woody Harrelson role, someone uh, humble, great shooter, but surprisingly athletic, um, one-time starter for the Charlotte Hornets. Rex Chapman. (laughs) (laughs) But he can jump. That was the whole thing. Adam, Adam, I would have gone Gook. I would have gone Gooks Gooks over Chapman, dude. (laughs) Come on. Uh, Well, but Gooks could jump. But I feel like Rex Chapman was the right height for the part. He didn't dunk often, but he he could surprise you, and that's the whole point. He relies on his outside game until he has to prove it. And then he's throwing down in that pivotal scene. Nice. Uh, that's all I got. I didn't really think, I didn't really think through the rest. I just thought that was really oh, clever. That's, an, like that's there, inspired. All right. Mine, I went with movie stars going to Broadway the way that many of them do. So Billy Hoyle, Woody Harrelson, we need a, a lovable doofus who's better at comedy than you'd expect who's got the body of a basketball player, I'm going Channing Tatum. Nice. I like it. Ooh. First of all, Ooh. the Very 21 nice. and 22 Jump Street movies are tremendous. And whatever Channing Tatum does, as long as it's within the law, I'm a supporter. <laughs> He's so <laughs> delightful in those movies. All right. Sidney Dean. My heart says one thing. My head says another. My head says Kevin Hart because 
I kind of feel like he's doing a Sydney Sydney Dean impression in every stupid celebrity <laughs> all-star basketball game that's ever been played. He's like nonstop talking, nonstop ball hogging, nonstop awkward bank shots that were fade away. I'm like, the guy's just been auditioning for this remake forever. But the guy that I think would be great in the role, who's a little bit younger and matching Channing Tatum's like age... Because, you know, hey, I'm, I'm rebooting like younger. We're going to get the millennials in. You know, Joe Reed's going to well, come see this. You guys, you, the you guy wanted that, to have a long run and make a lot of money. Right. So. Right. Right. So the guy that I want to cast is Donald Glover. Because he's a he's a like a hip hop, you know, performer. I won't say star. But he, he, he's got great attitude in his songs, which are very much the ones that I know, like freaks and geeks, like they're very much like self-congratulatory, traditional sort of like me first hip hop. I think he could play this role. He's also the type of guy that even though he's he's played nerdy roles or whatever, like he's got some swagger to him. That's why he got cast as Lando Calrissian. I I just think he'd be really good in this role if the, he, he got sort of unleashed. And he's also got a body type that's a little bit like Wesley Snipes before Wesley went full roided up blade uh you know in the in the later part of the 90s all right uh, and oh, oh, hold up hold wait hold up hold up childish gambino is cast as billy d williams did you just say that did i miss this yeah he's 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 playing lando in the uh in the in the Han, in the Han solo, solo. yeah Uh, guys, I gotta go. I, gotta, <laughs> I, I just gotta get ready for this. So, Adam, um, our co- our old colleague Ray Pop, who you may or may not have worked with very long, he yep, he, I did. Yep. He was like, "Man, come listen to Donald Glover's rap," and I was like, "Oh man, Childish Gambino, this is great." And then, like, I took a second listen to it, and I was like, "I am one hundred percent out on this." <laughs> like, it's just. It sounded better than I expected from the guy from Community, but it was not something I could like ever play again in my life. <laughs> Sorry. Really? Yeah. Uh, he's. I listened to it pretty good. He's, he's, you know, he, um, I would encourage, and maybe this is something we could share next show. I know I'm getting a little bit off the rails, but um, do either of you know where Childish Gambino comes yeah, from? Yeah, it's like a name generator online or something. The, right? Yes, the there is Wu-Tang. a, if for those of you who haven't tried this, the Wu-Tang Clan name generator. Mine is Extreme Hunter. So I encourage you guys to look up Man, your Wu-Tang Mine is uh, well. White Men Can't Jump Producer. <laughs> 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 All right. And we know Garris is tri- Tribeca Duck. Guys, I got go. the most, so. to, to, to close us out, I got the most important I got the most important casting of all. Gloria, one of the famed the famed Latina roles of the early 90s. I'm going to cast with Emma Stone and just say she's Hispanic. <laughs> uh, not at all problematic. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> hey, real quick, I'm going to throw... I'm... A, I'm- I'm going to cast Jamie Foxx <laughs> as as who as that, as that character that he played. Uh, what was her name? Hey. <laughs> All right. I, do you guys want to hear the songs? I, I came up with songs and scenes for them. So like, 
We're in jeopardy. That's Billy. Bi- <laughs> we're in jeopardy. That's Billy singing to the guards trying to get Gloria on jeopardy right before hitting that, f- that <laughs> half court hook shot. Uh, I got Stuce, Stuce, Stucio. That's when the Stucies are about oh to beat them God. up and they're running from them. <laughs> I got oh you. Okay. You don't offer to bring me water anymore. That's you know the bedroom fight where <laughs> <laughs> Billy's not getting her water. <laughs> I got, uh, <laughs> okay. he can't get it up. That's Sydney singing, <coughs> sadly, a ballad about Billy's flaws while Billy in the background tries the three the three dunks. He's like more soliloquy Gareth, like singing to the audience. Yeah, it's almost like an aside. I like that. I like that. <laughs> and then finally, I'm the goat. It's Billy and Sydney singing during the final game because don't they play these dudes named the goat? I don't remember. The but one I dude's named the goat? Uh, no. So here's how it ends. I think you're thinking of Earl Manigold. The whole thing is is them playing the guys, but, and it's like, I, they're both saying, like, I'm the goat. No, I'm the goat. I'm the goat. I'm the goat. And then the final, the final alley-oop, when Billy catches it, they both say, we're the goat. Mic drop, curtain drop, Tony Awards. Boom. <laughs> And with that, I think there's some revisionist history in there, but I like that, it. I we're, like we're going to call this segment sure. over. We'll be right back with distractions after this. And we are back in sports, athletes, and media, and coaches, and everyone who displays anything resembling something interesting usually gets hammered by fans for being a distraction. So we know that work or life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So right now we're going to tell you what is distracting us. And this week, guys, I'm going to go first. Is that okay? No. No. Yeah. Right. Gareth. No, it's fine, bro. Gareth, go first. Oh. Like It's just like, what was – yeah, sure, go first, man. Knock yourself out. So. <laughs> All right. Blast from the past, Gareth. I have reread 1,100 pages of the Stephen King book, It. I'm just oh, about done. I've got so 60 awesome pages for, left. Hold on a second. This is so awesome for two reasons. Number one, I reread It two summers ago. And number two, my distraction is a 1,000-page book. This couldn't have been better. But go on. <laughs> well, we lost the remaining part of our audience. But <laughs> so – I saw the movie trailer for it, and it was amazing. I thought it was really good. I love the redesign of Pennywise. I think he looks more like a terrifying clown would than what Tim Curry, you know, looked like. No, no knock on Tim Curry. His performance is what it is. But it was. There was a TV I don't think movie. something they could replicate visually. Yeah, it was a TV movie. I mean, it doesn't hold up. So this is the first book I've ever reread, and this is a shout out to really? Lily King, who earlier talked about rereading Harry Potter books. Like, I've never reread a book twice. This is the first one. Wow. And I got a few few things to throw out there because Gareth and I went to middle school together. And, Gareth, I think you and I read every existing Stephen King book between sixth grade and eighth grade. Yeah, dude. The Needful Things podcast could get pretty in-depth. <laughs> yeah, we read Needful Things when it was his new one. And I actually yeah. like the second half of that book. I think the first half is butt, but I think the second half is really good. 
Uh, hey, real quick, Gareth, your favorite Stephen King book? Uh, I, I think the first 400 pages of The Stand is the best thing he's ever written. Uh, I think The Shining is the best complete book he ever wrote. Yours. I would say um, I think it is the best characters he's ever created, and I think The Shining is the best story he ever created. And I think Adam, do you have thoughts on Stephen King? Hey, Adam, Stephen King is an author who wrote books for white people. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, I don't, I, growing up, I never re- really got into horror movies or, or horror books because I was a half black kid in an all white neighborhood. That was my fucking nightmare. I'm glad you guys enjoy your books. All though. right, Gareth, I got a distraction this week is get out. <laughs> the last thing I'm going to say about this, there. There is no excuse for the bonding scene between the kids where they all have sex with the girl, Beverly. I, I don't think it's going to show up in the movie. I, I, I just I think the, the book is fine. I, I found myself skimming some pages like, hey, look, it's Richie on a bike talking about the 50s. And then I'd be like, oh, clown sighting. Let's go. Like, I'm ready. I, I think that the bonding scene, though, the sex between all of them when they were like 12 years old is – is something that I, I still don't understand what he was even I mean I get the 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 the, the overt narrative of they're you know they're they're reaching adulthood and sort of uh, you know giving up their past selves by coming together but I still don't understand what he was really trying to achieve from a literary point of view do you I, I don't I, I don't think it has any shot of making the movie um, I think it is the glaring weakness in that book um it's weird it's like it would be one thing to say boy that didn't age well or that's problematic i think most people who read that book when it first came out first guessed that scene i i think it speaks to stephen king's power as an author when it was made that he could slide that one through and an editor couldn't do anything about it but uh it's pretty bizarre and yeah, that is that is that that is the biggest problem with that book. Um, it's a yeah. great story. Uh, I found I think the character of Pennywise as a stand-in for the evil of this town bits, and um, I think Stephen King has said he was like they were creepy clowns before that, uh, but he certainly made it his own and just the language of it and the we all float down here uh it's i don't know and like georgie dying all that stuff is really i don't know like i watched the same trailer you did and just watching georgie i was like that's really sad this kid died um anytime you kill kids it's just awful so um yeah i just saw logan the other night and wanted to cry half of it so Quick shout out to the Losers Club podcast, which does long form Stephen King book reviews. I mean, like three hour podcasts. I discovered this online. I've uh, spent several hours on it since. All right, Gareth, nice transition into your thousand page book. Go. Well, so after I wrapped up the NCAA tournament, I don't know why I was sitting at my in-laws house and I was like, I need to read a book. And I just finished something and I was like, oh, I always wanted to read the Executioner song. It was it's Norman Mailer's new journalism lightly fictionalized account of Gary Gilmore, 
Gareth, I read uh, this sophomore year of high school, man. Uh, another throwback to Oxford, Ohio. Shout out uh, Mr. Reynolds' class. Dude, we're on a roll tonight. Adam, did you read that one? Adam, okay, this, well, is so, a, a, this is about a white Mormon. Did you uh, read that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, somehow that one passed me by, guys. I don't uh, – but continue. So <laughs> – the, the reason I bring it up, though, especially from a sports standpoint, is uh, I always found Gary Gilmore fascinating because my dad would always talk about how... Uh, so basically, I've got a few hundred pages left to go, which is something you can frequently say when reading a thousand-page uh, book. But uh, it, it's, a, it's an easy read. Uh, there's a new edition that Dave Eggers wrote the intro to and on the back he actually like there's a pull quote that just says this is the fastest thousand pages you'll ever read that does fly by um it's about gary gilmore he gets out of prison in oregon moves to utah to live with his cousin ends up killing a couple people and in the late 70s after a supreme court ruling he becomes the first prisoner put to death in a lot of years and he becomes the last prisoner in american history ever shot by a firing squad. And I bring it up on the Just Not Sports podcast because just before they shot him, and this is the most famous thing you'll ever hear about Gary Gilmore, the Utah Authority said, do you have any last words? And his last words were just, let's do it. And I was reading online about this. Nike executives had said, because he came originally from Oregon, so it was a big deal up there, that part of the inspiration for the Just Do It tagline was Gary Gilmore just before being shot, his last words being, let's do it. So one of the most famous slogans in not just sports, but in all of marketing and the world came from a murderer, basically. Actually, it's really weird you say that because Ted Bundy, when he was executed by electric chair, he said, have it your way. I was gonna. I, I wonder if you're gonna go. I'm loving it, but yeah. Or, or lethal injection. He said, "Is it in you?" <laughs> yeah. I want to shout out Lily King, Olympic champion, American hero, American badass. Love talking to her about Harry Potter. She was really great. I also liked, you know, not to shout out ourselves, but at one point during the interview, she says, "You know, I, I have to kind of reprogram myself because I'm used to answering." you know, swimming questions in a certain way. And I'm just, I need to just churn out original thoughts. And I just want to say like, that's why we started this show is to give you a different side of athletes than you see in all their other interviews. So thanks to Lily for saying that. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, and that's it. So Lily, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I took my daughter to swim class tonight and I had a hard moment as a parent afterward where the swim instructor took me aside and said, your daughter is a grade A swimmer when she actually focuses. When she doesn't, she is a real problem in class. So it is good to have badass women to now point my daughter to to watch uh, as she goes along and swims. Uh, I would also like to shout out Willem de Kooning. Very cool. It is his birthday. He would have turned 113 years old today. Uh <laughs> So, shout out to an American master. If you want another distraction, a great, the best biography <laughs> I have ever read is De Kooning's An American Master by Adeline Swan and Mark Stevens. 
pick that one up. <laughs> what? <sighs> Welcome back, here. One of the Eric. first people to give a to Kooning a shout out right before Ron Mack and my other cousin Ron. <laughs> I'd like to uh, I'd like to shout out my myself quickly for uh, getting through this um, this segment of distractions, picking my head up off the keyboard. Wiping the blood from my nose and continuing on with my shout outs. <laughs> I would like to say shout out to my boy Uzi. Uh, he uh, won the Pulitzer Prize back in 1921 for his seminal work on uh, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, who were not sure how he's connected to me but then i say my other cousin ron and you know ron mac probably also some kind of blood relative uh and that's it that's it guys peace out yeah and brad wait brad one more thing i I keep forgetting this what is it oh it's in the immortal words of shaquille o'neal right broadway superstar booty rappers Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty.